Refined podcast features conversations around art and faith and the refining experience of engaging with God, our art, and each other for the sake of holiness and wholeness. I'm Chris. Welcome to the conversation. I am here with Lori Ferguson-Wilbur. Thanks, Lori. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm super excited. You and I have talked about having this conversation for a while, and I know we kind of, I mean, it's been like months, and we were like, yeah, we can do it in the summer, and summer is like, it's, it's almost, I guess it's technically it's, not- it's- not fall it's yet I don't know but buttering to its end <laughs> it is to its end but I'm so excited that we're finally getting a chance to sit down and connect um I'll just say for people who are listening that I'm a huge fan um I've been reading you for years and years I literally cannot remember how many years it's been but I know mm-hmm. it has been at least six maybe longer I don't know whenever you I may have been following you since you first started writing online at your old sayable mm-hmm. um, link, but I don't know, just a long time. I'm a long time mm-hmm. reader and I've loved Thanks, watching you um, grow as a person and watching you um, dive into all of the different things that you ventured into over the last many years. And um, I read your books and I subscribe to your uh, paid sub stack. So I'm just, I'm just saying all this to encourage other people, like go find Lori and connect with her because you're saying a lot of good, um, important things. So that's my long winded introduction and people can, you can, you tell us whatever you want to tell us about you and then we'll jump in. Oh, I don't know. Thank you so much for saying all that. That was really, that's really kind and. I always love, I mean, obviously you and I have connected in other spaces, but I always, it's, it's my favorite when I get to have conversations with readers, especially readers who've been there for a long time, because I think we oftentimes think people are sort of the, you know, we see a snapshot of someone and we think that's the whole of who they are or the whole of what they believe at that moment in time. And when you journey with a person over a long period of time, engaging especially with their writing you get Mm -hmm. to see them grow and change and shift and so it's always fun for me to connect with people who have been reading for a long time because I think oh you've watched me grow up essentially and um I love to get to witness that in other people's lives so yeah it's cool to yeah well I think it's a beautiful um it's a it's a beautiful and hard model, which I think this kind of kicks into um, the the central question of being, you know, what does it look like to experience God's refining in your art and your life? I feel like writers who are writing in a public forum, whatever that looks like, we're sort of putting our refining on display for people and you know, whether we, whether we want to or not, or whether we intend to or not, that is what's happening. And um, yeah, it's a whole thing. So I would love for you to kind of just um, maybe talk a little bit about what that has looked like in your life. And as I told you right before, like it, however that looks, there's no real boundary to this conversation, just wherever it takes you. But yeah, I would love to hear from your perspective, Mm -hmm. what that has looked like for you. Yeah, I think the short answer, I'll give you the short answer and then I'll give you the long answer. The short answer is like, I think of my life as an object lesson for a friend of Jesus. So what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? And when I think of Jesus friends, I think of bumbling fools, (laughs) you know, who followed Jesus and 
struggled to believe and struggled with doubt and struggled with pride and all these things. And I'm like, okay, I want to be that. And I want to be an object lesson for that. So that's one short answer. Another short answer is that I think of writing as for me, it has been my best form of um, sanctification because it holds my, it's a form of accountability. Um, It's a form of responsibility. So I have responsibility to my readers, but I also have responsibility to to what I put out there and sometimes needing to say, hey, wait, I'm going to pull that back and I'm going to tell you why I'm pulling it back or I'm going to tell you why I've changed my mind. Um, Our good friend Seth Haynes once told me years ago, um, I was I was walking through a shift on something and and I was like, I don't know how to write about this. And he said, you got to bring your readers with you. You can't just you can't just, you know, throw the frog in the boiling water. You've got to you got to explain your process and how you came there and where it's taking you and the fact that you don't think you're finished yet. So I think those those are sort of the two quick answers as to what it's actually been like. I mean, I, I'm not going to flower it up. I'm not going to make it seem pretty. It is not easy to have to eat your words. It is not easy to have crafted relationships with people who want you in just because of your theological um, similarities and want you out as soon as those theological similarities change. It's not easy to lose um, in some sense credibility with some people who only gave you credibility as long as you parroted the line that they wanted you to, to parrot. Like none of those things are easy. And um I honestly can't imagine another way though of being because to be another way would be to lose integrity. For me, that would it would it would be to not have integrity. And um yeah, so that's just meant a lot of two steps forward, 10 steps back, Mm. 10 steps forward, four steps back. It's Mm. just meant a lot of being willing to not just take readers on the journey that um, tells them what to think or um, what I think about something, but how I'm getting there and what it's taking from me to get there and what it's giving from to me to get there. There's Mm all these layers of complexity that you have to be willing I think to say all right I'm all in I'm all in to um what this means and it's that's that's a scary place to be and I think it was scarier for a good percentage of my writing life but it's a lot less scary now because I've lost so much because of it um and the more you lose the more you you realize like yeah I I'm here to follow Jesus and I'm I'm here to follow the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not going to get to Jesus any other way by getting anyone's approval, anyone's um likes or applause or connections or any of those things. I'm only going to get to Jesus to by Jesus and by laying everything else down and being willing to be as you say, like refined into Christ-likeness. Yeah. Would you say there was a season where you struggled with um, the like desire for approval or where you felt like that got in the way? 
Yes. I have a season. I'm like, it, did you ever have a life where you struggled with approval? Yeah, my whole life. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I'm in my early 40s and I think I struggle with it less now than I did for most of my life. But yeah, I would say almost my entire life has been one long pursuit of approval. It's been one long pursuit of acceptance and um, invitation into certain circles and environments. And I don't even think I knew I was um, spinning my wheels or treading water to get into those spaces. It's not until I'm out of them that I realize, wow, that you were turning yourself into knots to to find approval. And ultimately my approval comes from Jesus. Yeah. And anything else, like any pursuit of anything else is a waste of my time and a waste of reader's time too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but the, the pursuit of approval, the pursuit of, I mean, and that can come out in different ways. It can come out in like sort of C.S. Lewis's inner ring kind of idea, membership into something, but it can also come out in just obsession with growth or obsession with numbers or readers or readership, as I like to say, because I think mm-hmm. readership is different than readers. Um, yeah, I, I would say that I that has been a pretty consistent struggle, um, but I feel it less these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Do you think that the feeling, I, I ask this because I, I feel like we're, we're in a similar spot and that I call myself a recovering people pleaser. Yeah. I feel like I spent the first, I don't know, good, good majority of my life yeah. um, doing that on a subconscious level, not, yeah. not aware of it. It was only when it, you know, only when it came in to hindsight, you're yes, like, what? That I could go, oh, this is a problem. And yeah. it was actually therapy that brought it to my attention that it was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, I can't believe. And then, yeah. you know, I had to like grieve that I've spent so much of my life yeah. living that way and realizing like, I don't want to live like that. That's horrible. Yeah. It's not healthy. And it doesn't actually hasn't served me, you know, like, so like it's also that but I'm I'm wondering um like in the process of realizing that did you have um like do you feel like there's been I guess a a line where you kind of can say like I'm no longer doing this or mm-hmm. do you feel like it's just sort of this very messy kind of process or maybe it's both I don't know <laughs> I was gonna say it's both it's both <laughs> um the book I just finished writing which I actually haven't talked about on a podcast yet so you're the please first talk about it please I'm so excited um <laughs> uh it comes out in it comes out next next uh May or June I think but um yeah I think for me and I don't want to get super political here but I think for me the political sort of landscape of the past eight years and the tendrils that's that's kind of reached into the church and um evangelicalism and all those kinds of things were a wake-up call for me and my complicity my silence my go along to get along um and that having such a clear for me what was such a clear sort of line in the sand was like I'm not crossing that line I'm not doing that was kind of like oh if I if I'm if I'm gonna so clearly not do this one thing that is very accepted in sort of white evangelical spaces what else am I sort of being complicit or silent or going along to get along with and I would say so that was 2016 ish 
and I would say it's just been one long unraveling since then. And I'm, I'm really careful around the word, um, like deconstruction. I, I'm not like Jesus is the way, the truth of life. I'm not, I'm not moving away from Jesus. I'm not disorienting my life from Jesus, but I realized how oriented my life was around the church, around um, Christians, around even the Bible and not Jesus. And that for me was such a, a wake up call. And it was like, man, girl, you've got to, you got to like, if you're, if you're orienting your life around anything that isn't Jesus, you are worshiping something that is, that is made, that is created. You're worshiping the creator rather than the creator. Mm. And so, yeah, I would say, yes, a moment in time, also a very long, messy process. And that's, that's kind of what the book is about in a lot of ways, just sorting through what does it look like to, to let the dead things die and move into um, a healthier ecosystem in our faith. Oh my gosh, I'm writing that down. What does it look like to let the dead things die? Mm. That is a whole, like, that's a whole work right there, isn't it? Well, it was a whole book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And probably you could write more on it. I'm sure yeah. you just had to kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm just going to stop because you could go yeah. on and on. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm. Tell what, t- say the name of the book. Just so people it's called know. the understory. Um, It'll be, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but it'll be um, available for pre-order in October. Oh, okay. Good. I'm so excited about it. I know I've seen a little bit of the, um, I don't know if you've shared it publicly or if it's because I'm on your paid Substack. Substack, I can't remember. Yeah. So I've, I've seen a little bit and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited about this book. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I Thanks. would Thanks love, oh, well, my gosh, I'm really, it's, I, I think it's, um, I think the topic is really important. And I think that especially timely coming out of the season that we are coming out of, and I use that word season very loosely, but years, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, the political landscape of the last few years, pandemic landscape pandemic, of the last yeah. few years, the cultural shifts of the last few years that, you yeah. know, the devastation in um, large Christian circles of the last few years. I mean, it's, there's so many dead things and so yeah. many wounded things. Um, so I think the timing of this is really important mm-hmm. and um I'm excited for that for, because I just feel like I need, I need to read some good words around it mm-hmm. because I feel like there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of stuff to mine through in the last several years as we, yeah. you know, kind of look at all of these different topics. And so I feel like I find myself in this season looking for the good words about hard things. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons that I've always been drawn to your writing because I think you hold paradox well. Um, I, it's just hard, right? It's hard to hold both and. Yeah. That's a really complicated space. And I think we're not well practiced at it, not culturally and not even in the church, which I feel like we should be like professionals at this. <laughs> yeah, I think if you look at all through the gospels, it's it's this sort of like lean in, lean out. It's the sort of this and this. It's yes. paradox is the, um, 
it is a ma major theme in our faith. And even faith itself is a paradox. We have put faith in what we can't see. Like, what? It doesn't make sense. And so I think that is the work. That is our work in the world is to be um, living in a living a, a, alive in a place of brokenness. It's to be um, here and yet not all here. Like our home is elsewhere. It's to be. Um, it's to worship a God who we can't see. It's it's all of these sort of spaces that are difficult to enter into faith is difficult i don't i i never ever want to simplify faith i don't think that that's helpful to anyone um to to propose that faith is is simple just trust jesus it's 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 not simple um and there's nothing wrong with wrestling with the complexity of it no, and I think, um, you know, I think the even even faith, I think of faith itself as the paradox of like, on mm -hmm. the one hand, we say, trust Jesus, like that sounds simple. And like, I guess, yes, but, but in actual practice, like, there's what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, what does it mean? I feel like I that's the question yeah. I'm always asking. So like, that's great. But what does it actually mean? Like, in real time, what yeah. does it mean for me to do this? Yeah. And I don't know because it looks different in every single situation that yeah. I encounter. There is no like, let me just give you these five steps to yeah. practicing faith. It's like, no, it's exactly like you said. There's these 10 steps forward, two steps back and 10 steps backwards and two steps forward. It's like you're all over the place. And that is the dance of it, which, yeah. you know, if we put it in language like that, sounds beautiful. Like we're going to dance with our faith, but like, it's so hard. It's yeah. so hard. And I think that what I've seen a little bit from, from you is that you have experienced that hard where people have, you know, like you said, you've experienced people kind of saying like, well, what, what are you doing? What do you believe now? We don't know who you are. We don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and you've had to navigate that. But I feel like, um, I feel like you've done that gently, mm -hmm. which not everybody can. And that's mm -hmm. hard, but I'm grateful for the witness of that, of how you've, and that you've been willing to share some of that publicly. And I know whatever we see publicly, there's, you know, a, so much more behind the scenes, which is as it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd be curious if you could talk a little bit about um, maybe what it has looked like for you to um, embrace this new, I, I want to call it a new season for you, but I don't know if it's a new season or it just feels like a new season as a outsider looking in, but like, I, I would like to think of it as a new stage. A so new stage. Okay, a new good. stage in my faith. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear you talk about that because you just finished graduate school, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so it was spiritual formation. Was that mm -hmm. your, yep. okay. So did you pursue that because you you just personally felt like this is what I need for my own spiritual development or did you pursue it as a writer like uh, how what, how did you come to that decision maybe maybe that's what I'm trying to ask hmm. that's a good question I mean I'd been looking at various seminaries for years like various MDiv programs demon programs um and I just couldn't really settle on anything nothing was like 
speaking to me in the way that I wanted it to. Yeah. Um, and I have a pretty strong gut sense of things. Like I, I generally know this is the way I need to go or like, this is not it. Um, and, um, I heard about this program. Uh, it's actually the school. So one of my heroes in the faith is Rich Mullins mm -hmm. and it's the school where Rich Mullins had gone to. And I was like, I always wondered, you know, what is that place like? And I had gotten some material about it and the program just looked amazing. It was ecumenical in the ways that I needed. Um, it was a small cohort in ways that I needed. It was, they were going to go in the trenches of things that I think most graduate programs aren't going to do. Like we're talking through like a theology of suffering and uh, working through the dynamics of that as a group and, and all these sorts of things. So I wanted to do it because for two reasons, one, um, I needed the, um, the accountability and goodness of uh, working alongside other people toward a common goal. And also because I, I felt like I was at a place in my writing that I was, I needed some, some outside, uh, I don't want to use the word accountability, but some outside pressure, I guess. Mm -hmm. um and to push me to think and to um get out of comfort zone in various areas and things like that so yeah so I just I felt uh this stirring in me to put myself into a place where I was going to be forced to reckon with some things that probably would have taken me a lot longer to work out without that sort of in like um I don't know what the word is pressure for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. But I think being put in that environment and I know you did some of it remote and some of it in person. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would just say, I guess the word that's coming to me is environment. You're in that, that space with these other people and doing yeah. this work together. And there's something really beautiful about that and powerful about it as you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that is, I'm thinking about just as you're talking, and it, it's sort of related, but sort of not, is I'm thinking about um, the space that you're in now, the physical space that you guys are in, in your, is it Little River Cottage? Is that what you call it? I yeah. love that. Um, I'm so curious if you would talk a little bit about if that has impacted you um, like on a spiritual level, mm -hmm. because I, I felt like when you guys bought that property, and, you know, began like fixing it up and doing all of that. I felt like, at least as a viewer, I felt like I was witnessing a little bit of like a transformation too. Mm -hmm. So would you talk a little bit about place and the power of that in your own life? Yeah. So I, w I wish I could say a lot about that, but I think for us, the decision to move here. So we came from Dallas and before Dallas, we lived in DC and we lived in Denver. We just had always lived in big cities and to move here, it's a small town. There's about, I don't know, 30,000 people, um, four colleges. It's just a small area right on the edge of the Adirondack mountains in New York. And, um, it's beautiful. It's, it's, you know, four full seasons. It's, it's, there's nature and, beautiful hikes and 
we kayak all the time and we found this property on the river right in the village for a total steal and it was going to mean you know we had to gut it and, and do all those things so yeah there's this sort of physical thing happening we're moving to a smaller place we're moving to a college town where there's a lot of young students and academic intellectual kind of people um there, it's also kind of there's a lot of back to the land sort of hippie okay. <laughs> residual like liberal hippies up here too um and we're moving into this broken down house on this totally neglected property and and just working you know blood sweat and tears to redo it and I think um moving here came on the the tail end of I would say the most significant just heartbreak around the institutions and the church and politics it just was like I just felt so gutted and disappointed by some of the stuff that I was seeing and I felt this strong inclination to just decrease um to have a smaller footprint to um not work toward uh influence in ways that I had whether I intended it or not was had been working toward um I had this inclination to withdraw from groups that I had been a part of before. Um, so it was sort of all these things coming at the same time. And so there's this, you know, physical thing happening or moving to a smaller place, but there's also this spiritual thing happening of like, how do I make my life smaller? How do I shrink my life? And maybe that's for some people, they're like, no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't shrink your life, like step into things God has for you. But I would argue that the thing God had for me at that point in time was smallness. It was to, in some ways, test the limits of my, of my smallness. Like I often tell people it was like, I I was trying to shrink that back down to a human size and, um, work with my body and go on more hikes and kayak and, and just experience humanness instead of um, intellectualness, which I had been a part of in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I think that there has been a transformation there. I don't know that I could have said it was entirely on purpose. And I, I definitely don't know that I would have been able to anticipate what it would have looked like mm-hmm. at this point. But um there's a wonderful line in Wendell Berry's poem to think of a life of a man where he says um at peace and in place and I've always loved that phrase and I think this is probably the first time in my life that I have been at peace and in place that's not to say that I haven't been in place before or at peace before but rarely have those two things happened at the same time and they are happening here and I hope that's coming through in my writing. I hope it's coming through in um, the ways that I hopefully model um, for a generation of writers coming after me, mm-hmm. what it looks like to sometimes not just push the limits of our humanity, but to shrink back down to a human size. I think it totally comes through because even as I'm hearing you say that at, at peace and in place or at place and in peace, I'm totally butchering it now, but I'm thinking about how, 
you know, we've talked about your own, you know, wrestling and, and coming, coming to a place of, um, you know, just this different, what'd you call it? A stage? Yes. The new yeah, stage. stage. So like, that's obviously there's, there's tension all in the midst of what it looks like to come to a new stage. But as mm-hmm. you're saying this, I feel like as a reader, and I would be so curious if other people would weigh in on this, who read you too. I feel like you are presenting as someone at peace even in the midst of like you know like not like you're stagnant it's there's growth happening and you see you do let people see this this conversation that you're having with God and with yourself and like all of this but there is an undercurrent or an underpinning of peace that's like a a grounding that Mm. That is evident. I would say it's evident you. that you feel that you are grounded in the place where you are, even as, you know, the paradox, even as yeah. you're sorting, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think the sooner that we come to a, a, a police of peace around the fact that we're always going to be growing, we're always going to be changing. Um, there's more to be done and sometimes there's less to be done. The sooner we can just come to that realization, the the sooner that we will find ourselves at peace. And um, I don't have to strive for change. I also don't have to strive to stay the same because those two things are going to happen. Yeah. Um, in some ways, there are some things that are just going to stay the same, only get deeper and deeper, more rooted. And there are other things that are just going to be changing and like the seasons and Mm -hmm. forest and everything that we look at around us uh you know there's there's examples of sameness and also change you know the the water that I'm watching run in the river at you know before me right now that water has never run past my house ever before and yet this river has been here for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and and the view hasn't changed all that much so there are some things that that they're just constantly changing and yet at the same time they're just deeply rooted and and um maybe that illustration is losing its power but i i think if we look at nature we see the ways that movement and rootedness are constantly mm-hmm. um happening well, as you're saying that, it makes me think, I think it's Jim Harrison, the quote, a man has never stepped in the same river twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, like there's something really beautiful about that. And, yeah. and yet there's the sameness too yeah. at the same, at the same time, which is so cool. Yeah. Um, but I just, I love thinking about that. And I love thinking about the way place plays a role. And, you know, it's funny because you said you came sort of seeking this smallness and whatnot, but I feel like in that smallness, what I see is a, a breadth of work that mm. is not small. And the work that you've produced since you moved to this place is deep, it's beautiful, mm. it's rich, and there's nothing small about it. But I it makes me think that I think the temptation in in the experience of refining is to think that smallness is almost like a, um, like a punishment or like mm-hmm. a, yeah. um, like a shrinking, like a minimizing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that 
what I see you living and proving by your life is that that is not, that is not what that means. Mm. And that if we pursued smallness in the spiritual sense, it just doesn't mean the same thing as what the world, you know, says smallness is. And it doesn't mean the same thing as like what social media, how social media is measured and all of these things. I think smallness is an invitation to something bigger that we just don't understand because we have this worldly mindset. I was reading something the other day. I wish I could remember where it was. I feel like it was something with Austin Cleon and he was talking about the pursuit of, maybe it wasn't him. I can't remember. I'll I'll try to remember and tell you later. (laughs) But this person was talking about the difference of making a decision based on enlargement versus Mm -hmm. happiness. So will this enlarge me versus will this make me happy? And I thought, oh, that's that's really what the past few years have been for us. As much as I say, I've been shrinking back down to human size. There's this element of enlargement that's happened because when we, when we live in our humanness, when we live in our our fullness of humanity, um, it really does stretch and grow us and enlarge us because we are not um, we're not spreading ourselves thin trying to like play whack-a-mole with the world or whack-a-mole with culture or um or with the church or politics or whatever we're not trying to fill all these spaces or hit all these things we're just saying like I I can only do what I can do and somehow that enlarges us one of the big themes in the understory that I write about is the fact that as as we've struggled to find a church home in this place over the past few years it's just a very post-christian area we have made the best neighbors and friends, none of whom know Jesus. And I feel like my life is so much bigger because I I am encountering these neighbors who just do not believe in Jesus and and really want nothing to do with him, but yet love us and are drawn to us and we are drawn to them. And I find that for me, that's been so just life-changing really um because I've just never I don't know why but I've never I've never built a community outside of a church in my life my community has always been my church or some sort of spiritual um group in some way and um yeah anyway I don't that's kind of an aside but I love that I love that because I think I think it's easy if you're in the church Sometimes I I just say sometimes I think it's easy to stay really insulated Mm -hmm. and um, forget that there's, there are a lot of relationships and encounters Mm -hmm. to be had outside of that bubble and what might we learn or discover or how might we grow by opening ourselves up to that. And yeah, yeah, that's a whole, we could have a whole other conversation about that, but um. I know our time is winding down. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple questions that I always ask people because I'm always just curious. Um, The first one is um, what's inspiring you right now? Oh, good Lord. Um, (laughs) You know, I, uh, I listened to a couple podcasts recently on wolves, one from this is criminal called wolves and one from their sort of sister podcast this is love also called wolves 
Um, and then shortly after that, I read a book by uh, Carolyn, no, Charlotte Mahaney, McConaughey, McConaughey called Once There Were Wolves. And I'm, I'm sort of like fascinated by wolves right now. And I tend to like, um, I get kind of hyper fixated on things when I get interested in them. And so I am, you know, watching all the documentaries and reading all the books I can about wolves right now. So yeah, just fascinated that these sort of apex predators uh, are also, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but are like, that we're trying, you know, so many people are, are trying to eradicate them from the landscape. It turns out the landscape desperately needs apex predators and particularly wolves. And so um, the Adirondacks has been trying to, there have been a couple of people around here who are trying to uh, establish wolves here again. And so I'm just fascinated and I think it's beautiful. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with my hyperfixation on it right now, but <laughs> I, love I like it, thinking though. about it. Yeah. Well, true confession. I read that book while well, I listened to it on audio and then I listened yeah. to the two podcasts because you shared them and I was like, oh, I'm going to check this out. And I really was fascinated by it also. I was like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. Yeah. I, could, I could see going down the rabbit trail and following all mm -hmm. of this and following the stories. And, um, and then I was thinking we watch um, Yellowstone and yeah. I was thinking, oh, they incorporated this into their, their storyline. Yeah. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it. Yeah. But I was I was just so interested in that. So I thank you for sharing yeah. that. And I'll put those um, books and podcasts in the show notes if anybody wants to find out what the heck we're talking about. Um, okay, so then my next question is, um, what are you reading right now? Ooh, um, oh, gosh, I'm like always reading a ton of books. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished a book called uh, Walking to the End of the World, which is about the um, Camino de Santiago, which I'm also a little bit hyper fixated on right now. Mm -hmm. um, I finished recently a book by Wendell Berry called Our Only World. Um, uh, what else am I reading right now? I'm trying to like envision my bedside table. I know. <laughs> uh, something about Benedict. This is not a book about Benedict how do you say his name cumberbatch cumberbatch yeah cumberbatch. i think it's called this is not a book about Cum benedict cumberbatch <laughs> i'm not sure um but yeah it's about just joy and happiness and oh fun i'm gonna look it up i've never heard of that one i love his last name okay there's a whole meme that my husband showed me where people are like it's it's not nice. pronounce they're name. kind of making fun of his last name but they have all of these like benedict cumberbun and like all of these different <laughs> yeah. things and it's so funny it's so funny i'm Poor sure guy. he probably gets nothing but grief about it but it's you know hopefully he can take it with a with a little chuckle yeah <laughs> oh my gosh okay so we're um we we're telling people about the understory and pre-orders in october i'm so excited mm -hmm. about that um where else do you want people to connect with you substack is that your main substack? yeah lauriewilbert.com is my substack and it's l-o-r-e wilbert.com that's kind of where i'm i'm trying to move there instead of i mean you can find me on social media as well but um mm -hmm. i'm finding a lot of joy in the substack model and um sort of the return to blogging um which has been for me I was an OC blogger back in the early 2000s yeah, you were. And so it's it's been a joy that 
um, I mean, I never stopped, but it's been a joy that people are kind of discovering the beauty of long form again. So yes. Amen. I'm so ready for that. I'm tired of all of the short, yeah, short blurby stuff. I just feel like, I don't think it's doing us any favors. I think we, we need to learn to read long again and not yeah. feel like everything has to be three seconds or less because yeah. that just, just can't be good for us. So yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, I really appreciate this. This was such a gift. And um, I'm just super grateful for your work. And any ways that we can spread the word, we're here for it. I'm happy to do it. So thank you. Refined, the podcast, is sponsored by Refined Media, parent company of Refined the Retreat. For inspiration and to learn more about what we do, what we make, and how to participate, connect with us at refineretreat.com or on Instagram at refineretreat. Thanks for listening.